Okay, hello everyone. We're back again. Uh, so this week we're talking about another film, science-related, sci-fi-related. So First Man, which is a biopic of uh, Lance Arm, uh, uh, Neil Armstrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> not the 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 asshole biker guy. <laughs> we, don't, we don't like him. Yeah, we don't like him. Um, all right, so, yeah, how was your week? Uh, did you watch anything interesting? Did you do anything interesting? Um, well, I watched First Man, which was really good. Um, I rewatched a documentary called Pick of the Litter, which is one of the most wholesome documentaries because it's about the um, – so you start from the birth of the puppies because it is about dogs. Oh. Um, it's basically about um, – dogs that are bred for for people who are blind and oh. their journey and it's absolutely beautiful you're rooting yeah. for every single one of the puppies to to make it to the end of their training the amount of training that goes in just within 16 months is absolutely amazing like these mm -hmm. dogs are going 24 7 and they go from a foster family to their next trainer to their next trainer and if they don't make it um to being a dog for the blind they can be put into different areas like maybe yeah. someone with epilepsy or someone with um diabetes or people who can see but still can't be left alone um it's really wonderful and wholesome and again you're rooting for every dog and it's it's yeah really if you just that want sounds simple mm -hmm. that sounds like really positive <laughs> it is, like and it's so beautiful really like yeah. the people who train these dogs immediately once they get the dog gets homed they go right back and get another dog to foster. Like these people live and breed, breathe training these dogs. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I wish I could do something like that. Like that's yeah. like, it's so rewarding. Yeah. That, that sounds like, like if you just need something positive to like uplift you. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, this week I um, was on a trip in Las Vegas. And so while I was there, I saw, Two films i saw the new mutants and i got to see tenet oh. actually so i did see tenet which was interesting um it uh well let's just put it this way the action was really good there was a lot of stuff where you couldn't really understand the plot like Art. it was very convoluted and i remember there were complaints about this with like the dark knight rises so like they they released this the first like 10 minutes or whatever and the first version of that no one could understand bane at all i mean it was just like that's what it sounded like and this kind of had a similar problem where people would be talking but they'd be wearing a mask or something and then there'd be really loud music and you're like what did they just say and so there was a lot of like stuff with the plot, which was a little like confusing or convoluted or I don't know, just too complex for its own good. Yeah. And like some of the characters were like really flat, like the characters, he's already been accused of like having his characters exist solely to, you know, just to speak exposition. Like in Inception, there's a whole character, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character, he basically just does exposition like the whole movie over a montage. Generally. Yeah. 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 It's like a montage of him and some other character like him and, um, Alan Page, usually. yeah, yeah. Him and Ellen Page. And it's like, let me show you how this concept works. Um, I don't and, like that movie for that. One of the, that's one of the reasons. 
Yeah, I mean, because, like, there's so much that you just have to, like, kind of put in. I feel like that film, I feel like Inception did a better job than Tenet did. With Tenet, it was like, if there was exposition, it was like, you couldn't understand it because there was a bunch of other stuff going on. Or it just kind of wasn't there and you were just a little confused. Mm-hmm. But I think overall the film was not terrible. I mean, when you spend $200 million on a movie, it's hard to make it's something that's bad. bad. <laughs> I do think it's worth seeing in, 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 for, like, in a theater and a theatrical experience. I don't think people need to like rush out there and, you know, go if you, if, if you feel like it's not safe. That's the thing um, too, like his, uh, what, just what you were saying about the loud noises and like the muffled dialogue, I'm kind of over him using the same noise. Um, like I was watching Inception with earbuds in and I'm like, okay, I'm taking these out because <laughs> I need to be able to hear something like my ears were ringing and I'm like I know he likes that noise and it's a director's trademark thing that they have to have um but can we stop yeah there were parts of my my uh, of of that film where my girlfriend literally was like this like it was just too loud it's just such like why yeah <laughs> why it's um, fine but okay there, yeah there's this one scene that's really, really well done where they use this like massive practical effect. <clears throat> but I mean, the I've never heard a louder score cue than in that moment. It was like overwhelmingly loud. <laughs> I mean, it did kind of make the moment, you know, kind of a little bit bigger, but you're just like, whoa, you're just throwing sound and things at me. <laughs> I guess part of it is maybe to like immerse you more into the film, like you're actually a part of this kind of a thing. But I can I can be a part of a movie like that. Much noise will take me out, in my opinion, like because I'm focused on the pain and ringing in my ears, and not on the film that I'm supposed to be enjoying. Um, I'm starting to worry. Nolan's now being surrounded by yes men who won't tell him something's bad. I think he's gotten to that point. Um, yeah. But he's, he's not a bad filmmaker yeah. either. I won't say he's bad. I think this, I think Tenet is the classic example of people saying yes. Um, and to give you a, a reason, like, there there's a whole bunch of things that sort of happen in this film that if you, if, if you or me wrote this same script and then, like, handed it to someone and it had our name and not his name, no one would people would reject and be like, okay, the concepts are interesting, but like, there's a whole bunch of problems here that yeah. need to be fixed. It's kind of how I feel with like JK Rowling's Fantastic Beast movie. She wrote the same oh it comes from her heart. And I'm like, those, in my opinion, movies are shit. They are there shit. There's not yeah. a single, single likable character. Newt Scamander Rander, whatever his name is, is <laughs> a irresponsible moron. <laughs> And the few good ideas that are in there are mostly related to the bad guys who, in my opinion, I should be rooting for and not Newt Scamander, who is literally <laughs> just a troublemaker and should be thrown in Azkaban prison for endangering yeah. a lot of <laughs> He's kind of a bad person. <laughs> but he's cute and he's, he's, yeah. he's shy and kind of mm-hmm. has that 
Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock thing going, but in, in a nicer way. So we're going to give him a pass. <sighs> like Dumbledore yeah. is, a, is a villain. Like he's a villain through and through. people who are irresponsible. Yeah. The thing about those movies too that's messed up is like, those movies happened because the studio begged her to do more movies. And so she's like, here you go. I'll just crap uh, one out over the weekend. <laughs> here you yeah. go. It's like, yeah. And nobody says no to her. And yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> because it's the... Mm -hmm. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. It's their golden goose, and they're just like, you know, we made a billion dollars. And this is the same thing that happened with, um, with, with The Hobbit. Like, The Hobbit yeah. is three movies because some guy... Some studio executives was like, "Why don't we make three movies?" The um, worked before. Yeah, and and he said, "Sure," because like, you know, the thing the thing about it too in, in the film industry, it's very hard to make any film, right? And so when someone's offering to 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 allow you to make three films, it's hard to say no, despite the fact that creatively that's probably not going to be the best thing for the film like if if the hobbit was like you know a two and a half hour maybe three hour one film would have been great yeah uh, i was gonna say if it had just been a three hour long movie peter jackson could have made his director's cut and people still would have bought it and enjoyed it like the director's cut of lord of the rings yeah. is my favorite version um it still would have been an enjoyable film would it have been great probably not but it would have been enjoyable and you still would have made bank on it but it's just, I feel like Peter Jackson probably almost died making those movies because he was like, how can I, how can I squeeze this much out of what, how long is The Hobbit? Like a hundred pages? Not even. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, totally. Like, Mark and they're just grabbing stuff. Well, this guy was mentioned in you a know. paragraph one time. Yeah. So we're going to give him 30 minutes of screen time. Like mm -hmm. everybody got 30 minutes of screen time who was mentioned once in the book. Mm -hmm. and that adds up really fast yeah 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 and it just it doesn't work it doesn't mm -hmm. the film doesn't work like the lord of the rings is incredible the hobbit you're like what yeah you know i think it's just <clears throat> there were just weren't enough characters in the hobbit for me to care about either like i grow you grow attached to the characters in the hobbit mm -hmm. i mean in lord of the rings very quickly and very easily um but the hobbit was just meh. Yeah, I don't know. What's funny too, like The Hobbit, there's some really clear things <clears throat> that are connective to The Lord of the Rings that should make you instantly care, right? Like there's all these characters that <clears throat> are related like to Gimli. I think there's even, it's like Gimli's dad and then like yeah. his uncle. Yep. Um, and those people appear later in, well, they don't appear later, but like in the Minds of Moria scene, oh, yeah. they go to the... Mm -hmm. They go to the mines of Moria, and the uncle's dead. And you know, there's some other stuff where uh, what's his name talks about, like, oh yeah, and he basically references their adventures with with um, the 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 people from the Hobbit, like the 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 <clears throat> yeah, and and so that would be like that's that's I feel like the whole reason to make the film is like. Oh yeah, by the way, you remember like when Gimli got really mad when he saw his uncle dead? Mm -hmm. Well, here's the uncle. Yeah, but here's I don't care uncle. about him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't care about him. I care exactly. about his corpse than I in the first Lord of the Rings movie than I cared about him as a character because at that I know. Point, you have we have nine people in the fellowship at the start of the Fellowship yeah. of the Ring. 
that I love every single one of them in their own unique way. You know, whether it's Legolas's heroism, Gimli's, you know, crotchetiness, or um, Boromir's redemption arc. I love yeah. all of them in their own way. There's too many fat, stupid dwarves <laughs> that I care yeah. about. Yeah. And one leader dwarf who learns who learns one thing at the end of every movie, and at the end of the first two movies, by by movie three, he has forgotten everything he has learned. It's like they just erased all of the things that Bilbo does for him and sacrifices for him. He's a shitty leader, and I don't care that he dies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because like at the at the what was it, Desolation of Smog at the beginning. Like you said, he they just they just reverse everything. Like before, he had sort of, sort of, gone on a positive change, and then he's like, "Oh, gold! I'm greedy now." No, you're just a weak ass fuck boy. <laughs> That's what you are. It, yeah, it's just like, okay, fuck this shit. I don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah. You're just you're not Aragorn, bro, and you never will be Aragorn. And I love that actor. I love Richard Armitage. Like, totally dig him. But you're not Aragorn. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're not at all. Um, you're not my ranger, bro. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, the The Hobbit is definitely a sad missed opportunity. Um, but the, the yeah, I feel like I feel like The Hobbit just shows you you never know with the film. You never really know if it's gonna work, right? You would think same director made these other brilliant films, great source material. This should be an awesome film, and then we <laughs> like, what the fuck did we get? I will say there are some good moments in it. I love everything with the Necromancer. I love the way it looks. I love that Cumberbatch did like 8 million voices again. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He was good as Smog. I will mm -hmm. say that. Smog was pretty intimidating. I'm glad that they didn't think size. That thing was massive, the way that they made mm -hmm. him look. And it was brilliant. Um, my favorite scene in any of the movies is the showdown with Galandriel. Well, I think Gandalf's there because she's coming to save Gandalf. Um... Oh, what's his name? Mr. Smith. Oh, Hugo Weaving too. Yeah, Hugo yeah, Weaving. yeah. The other, and the other Lord Elrod. Elrond, yeah, and Sauron yeah, or Sauron. Which one is it? It's probably Sauron. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the, but the, they have that showdown with the ring wraiths or the ghost people or whatever. I that's my favorite scene when Galandriel shows like just how powerful she really is. Yeah. And that's an intense, awesome fight, and I love it because Elrond never got to swing that sword nearly enough, in my opinion. Yeah, 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 he's for sure. Mm -hmm. You know it. Yeah. I mean, he's an immortal elf, Lord. <laughs> yeah. Get out of here, Thranduil, with your stupid freaking wig and your yeah. stupid crown. Like, Elrond, Elrond's the shit. Yeah. Hopefully, maybe at some point, like, uh, there, there was some news recently that um, Francis Ford Coppola was going to do another version of Godfather 3. He was going to do a director. Yeah, he's going to do a director's cut. <laughs> When I think I'm out, they pull me yeah, they pull me <laughs> Exactly. You can never get away from it. <laughs> I actually don't mind the third Godfather movie. It just does no idea what it wants to be. It doesn't know if it's a gangster movie. I move there's religion in it. There's there's yeah. all these things going on and it has no there's weird incest as well, which no one ever talks about. Um, <laughs> no one ever talks about the incest. Um, and it's just a movie that no idea what it is it's it's which i guess is true of the time and the story itself like the mafia is changing Woo. Mm -hmm. 
we don't know yeah. where we fit in this crazy modern world. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't hate it, but I don't, I don't love it either. Yeah, that film, like to me, the problem with that film is like, so it starts off with like a voiceover, which is not in any of the other films at all, and so it's all, it's already like off to a bad start, and then there's just like. I don't know. The the characters just don't feel like he's really great at casting. Like he's one of the best, like at casting ever. Like he, all of his films, he always gets people that become great actors. I almost feel like he's never cast someone and it's like, oh well, that was no. He casts great actors. Yeah. But I don't know. The, something about it just didn't work. Like the the acting didn't work, and it didn't have that Godfather feel. Yeah. Um... You know. Al Pacino looked tired, which I guess Michael is probably sick of everything at that point. So, but he just looked, he looked tired of being there, tired of being this character, maybe. You know, actors, I'm sure, get really sick of being like, hey, it's Michael Corleone yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, like, my mom and her sister once followed Al Pacino into a department <laughs> store in New York City in the 70s. Like, they did Oh, that. in the 70s? Yes. Oh, that's totally different. I, I, I kind of think that's justified. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but my mom was like, he's so tiny. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a, um, especially back like, then. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, they followed him into a department store because they, they had seen The Godfather and they thought he was just like super hot shit. Um, oh, yeah, he was, he was yeah. like, he was huge um, at that time. For oh, yeah. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think the casting wasn't bad in it either. Um, who was it? Uh, Andy Garcia plays yeah, Andy Garcia's son. Again, and that's a perfect casting. That's a perfect oh, casting. Yeah. And you see a lot of like the sunny character. I think Michael even has a line when um, I don't remember his, the character's name, but when Andy Garcia's character loses his temper, I think he bites yeah. someone or something. He's like, "Yep, that's Sonny's kid." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good. Yeah, there's the basically the villain of the film. And yeah, Andy Garcia is like, dude, this guy talks shit behind your back, blah blah blah. And yeah, yeah, and he's and then Michael's like, no, no, you know. Well, Michael asks the guy like, do do you is this true? And the guy's like, oh no, he lies, of course. And then he's like, okay, you need to make up with him, and that's when he yeah he bites him or whatever. Doesn't make up, no. Yeah, no, I'm gonna bite him. I'm gonna bite him in a stupid way. <laughs> I think that same year, or closely near that same year, Andy Garcia had been in The Untouchables too, so he was kind of blowing yes. up around that same time. I love yeah. The Untouchables; it made me fall in love with tense elevator scenes. <laughs> I love that movie. Yeah, that movie. I feel like that movie. I feel like I should like it more than I do. I really, really want to like that movie, but there's something about it that doesn't stick for me. Probably because I don't know why. Why about Elliot Ness? He was a terrible person in real life. Yeah. It's, it, it's not an accurate depiction of anyone um, <laughs> at all. Um, but it's I I don't necessarily always like gangster crime movies. It's one of my favorites. I personally yeah. really like it, even though it's a lie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm cool with them like kind of doing their own thing because to me, that's just it's like some fantastical stuff. Exactly. I mean, again, that's another film where the cast is amazing, right? Yeah. The cast is amazing. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It just um, I felt like it. I felt like it. It it tried to play things both ways. It tried to be both very kind of serious and dark and bloody and gruesome, but also kind of too fun and goofy and cutesy. Mm -hmm. um, like there's there's a scene where they they kind of have to do a mission where they 
you know, there's some people running liquor and they stop them. And, and that, that, that scene kind of, they played it almost like an adventure or something. Yeah. Kind of like, I think they're on horses at one point. Yeah. Like it's almost like a West, it has like a Western vibe yeah. to it. Cause there's a train, mm -hmm. I think too. Also, yeah. Sean Connery blowing the brains out of an already dead man is kind of morbid too. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, that just, that just like juxtaposing that with like the scene where, um, where like he beats the guy in the head with the bat, where Al Capone beats the guy in the head with the bat. That just doesn't sit well with like, you got to choose one or the other. Mm -hmm. And if you choose, I would prefer that they choose the bloody route the whole way where it's like, this is real stuff. We're trying to do it kind of like the Godfather where that film does not pull punches. Like mm -hmm. when people die, they die and it's, it's gruesome. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I don't know. Some of this stuff didn't totally work for me, but yeah, I mean, the cast is great and it, you know, I don't know. It's just like, I feel like on paper, that film was like a film that should be amazing, amazing. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, it just fell a little bit short for me. <clears throat> um, yeah. So yeah, I, it's, long story short, Tenet, kind of convoluted, kind of really loud. Um, Tenet, Tenet's one of those films, like if, if, if that film doesn't work and he made like two more Tenets in a row, he would, he might be making Batman 4 or whatever. He might have to go back to the drawing board. Yeah, yeah. It was funny recently. He said, "Oh, I think my DC days are done." I'm like, "Dude, if you if you make two more tenants, you're you will be back. You'll be back to DC. You will have no choice. Yeah, you will have no choice. You, <laughs> so you better no be choice. careful." <laughs> so maybe direct someone else. Did, did he write it? Did he write I did. Tenet? Yeah, he did. So maybe it. direct something somebody else has written. Is what I'm. Yeah, you know. I think I think that might be part of the problem because now that I think about it, a lot of the films that he does that are good, so or at least the ones I like, he a lot of it he worked with his brother actually, and so I think his brother is actually the one who's a good writer. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with yeah. someone being a good writer, and you can bring that good writing to life in a really beautiful way. Yeah, maybe. Let some like because I feel like sometimes directors are only like I only I only want to write what I I only want to direct what I write I only want yeah, yeah, yeah. what I write because it's my vision it's my creation we've all heard stories about egomaniac directors <laughs> who only want their vision um, but I think it's okay to allow someone else their vision and you can you can give it life like yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that and. Although we wouldn't have some, Ellie, stop licking your toes. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> we wouldn't have some of our greatest, you know, films without a couple of egomaniacs out there. Yeah, um, totally. I see you. Stop it, <laughs> or you're going on the floor. Sorry, I had to be a mother. For oh, a it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Um, yeah, because like Memento was written by his brother. Um, I think the Prestige they wrote that together. I think the Batman movies, both of them were involved. Interstellar. Interstellar was actually going to be directed by Spielberg, and then sort of late in the game, Nolan came into it. And let me see. Prestige, I think, as well, was was written basically by the two of them. So I think, I, I think when, yeah, I think when he's on his own, it might be a problem. Because I, they kind of, 
gone in different directions. Like the brother is now he he uh, he's like the head writer for um, and creator of Westworld, and that's kind of his thing. Uh-huh. Him and his wife. So I don't know. I think he should get back together with his brother for the next movie. This, I this, think they should too. Otherwise, you're going to be knocking on Warner Brothers' door really fast. Yeah, yeah, and they they're. <laughs> They're freaking Brendan over backwards for this guy. It's like uh-huh. crazy. It's crazy. Well, anyway, okay. Now we're going to talk about First Man, uh, this biopic of Neil Armstrong. So, um, yeah, this was a really interesting film. I, I definitely I definitely liked a lot of it. Uh, it kind of, the concept and the way that they shot it alone kind of reminded me. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Right Stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's reminded me a lot years, of that. But it's it's it brought me right back to those feelings I had watching it because my dad loves the right stuff and I grew up watching Apollo thirteen. Pardon me. Um, so yeah, I was definitely all about that shit. Yeah. So this film, it feels a little similar, right? Because it's like, but this focuses on one person, whereas that kind of focused on the team. Yeah, it was more and of an was, ensemble. Mm-hmm. And that film's like really epic. It's like three hours long. So it's a very long movie. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really long. long. But it made me, this movie made me want to go back and watch Apollo thirteen and the right stuff because yeah, they're yeah, just totally. such harrowing stories. They really are. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I also recently saw Hidden Figures, which is another film kind of in a similar vein. Oh yeah, I've been um, meaning to watch that. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I would definitely recommend it. Um, so yeah, so this is about uh, Neil Armstrong. In the beginning, is like you know. Again, like the right stuff, kind of. He's a engineer, <clears throat> pilot, and he's doing you know all these tests and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> and one of the tests goes not great. Uh-uh. Yeah, it does, <laughs> not doesn't really. go great, and so it kind of you know gets him into hot water with the company he's working for. But it's ju- so this this film constantly juxtaposes his work with his personal life and his family life and how tumultuous really his, his personal life was. Um, there's a lot of stuff that like a lot of death, basically. Yeah. A lot of like guilt, probably, you know, on top of losing his daughter at such a young age in such a terrible way. Like he has that to deal with because, you know, like, the death of a child can really tear apart a marriage. So you see why that's such, Yeah, he almost seems to be distancing himself. Like, cause you see him interact with his kids. He's like a dad. He does stuff, dad stuff that I remember my dad doing. One of my favorite moments is when he picks up his son, he's going to put him in the freezer. Like, <laughs> like I remember my dad picking me up and like, Hey, I'm going to throw you out the window now. And he'd be like giggling and laughing. No dad. Um, so that was really sweet, but it almost does seem like he tries to, distance himself like i think most times when his sons come and ask him to play he doesn't yeah um but yeah, yeah just because he kind of he kind of knows that the life that he's leading it, it's very dangerous and you know yeah if he gets too attached maybe one day he's just not going to come back and that might devastate them um and you know his wife is kind of kind of tortured by all of this right like Mm -hmm. she she 
you know, people talk a lot about like emotional labor and she does a lot of emotional labor in this film and it's, it's intense, right? Yeah. On top of like being a mother and raising two, two sons, like that scene when she's listening to the, the chatterbox or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. On top of her kids, just like mommy, mommy, or like doing all these other yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love when she's sitting on the bed with her son, and he's like, "And I organized everything, and now it's here, and now it's there." And he just kind of throws something and rolls over, and she's like, oh. "Yeah, yeah." Like, it, it, like, they don't realize that why she's so tense and why she's on such a hair trigger, and it's just you can't tell your little kids that. Like, mm-hmm. well, your dad's in space right now and might die, so I'm a little yeah, I'm a little yeah. Distraught. Um, yeah I really like that scene like she's listening to the I, I guess it's like a public broadcast of yeah I wasn't was sure happening. if it's just being broadcast for the wives or families or mm-hmm. if it's all over um, I would mm-hmm. imagine it's probably all over yeah unless it's yeah. that private or secret or something like that but yeah, yeah but she, was fantastic yeah she was like they, they put a lot on her shoulders in this film and she pulled it off um yeah like that scene was really good <clears throat> like she's listening and then the son's like taking the radio away and stuff he's like oh i got it give it back <laughs> like kids, little kids just don't know they just want to they just want to yeah, play with no someone idea. like they have no idea yeah and that's what is so sad about it at the same time is that they just they just don't know mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So I appreciate that naivety you almost wish you were that naive too but yeah, where you just, you just, you just, all you care about is like having fun and enjoying your life. Um, none of the adult stuff kind of gets in your way. No, because, you know, dad will be home eventually. He'll be yeah. home eventually. That's yeah, he always comes home, there. right? Yeah, their dad always comes home. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, and then, like, another part of the film, so, you know, he applied, so, like, his daughter dies, there's this funeral. It's pretty diff- difficult for him, and there's yeah, there's another scene during that where, <clears throat> like you said, he doesn't play with his kids really, or doesn't really kind of he kind of tries to, to be standoffish, and so this is like the early '60s, and um, there's like a scene where his, his son's like, "Hey, daddy, daddy, come outside and play with me." It's like, "No, I can't, I can't play with you. I have to be with your mom," and she's you know, again, really just dropped by this whole thing. Um. And so then he sort of just applies to NASA, right? <laughs> he like sees his magazine. <laughs> yeah, he just see like hmm, how can I how can I take my mind off of this? Let me apply to NASA. Yeah, I'll just I'll just go and do that for a while. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this will help, and then we'll move to Houston. So he does, and of course, as we know, he he gets the job, and so they have to move to to Houston to take this job. Um, and there's some scenes where like, you know, I guess they basically live in like the, the NASA neighborhood, right? Yeah. That was like a real thing. Like, um, they would create army, um, neighborhoods, um, near where I, I'm staying right now. There's dozens of them that have been reconverted into, um, just your normal homes for anybody. But back in the forties and fifties, they were all, all military families lived there. Um, yeah. They're all cookie cutter out, cookie cutter houses. All look very much the same, you know, same kind of lawns, backyards, stuff like that. Um, so that was actually that was an incredibly common thing because it was just probably easier to keep them all in one place. Um, 
And that way your wives can mingle and you can grow, make a community and all that other stuff. So that was a nice touch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so they, their neighbor is another basically hopeful astronaut. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the two wives, they become friends and they have kids that are like the same age. So, you know, they start to get closer, which is, we're going to, we're going to see some, <laughs> again, death, death just <clears throat> surrounds these people, unfortunately. And that's kind of what I think this film does a good job of showing is like, there was a human cost to all these things that we did beyond just the monetary costs. And people, people, not only did people die, but people had an emotional burden put on them in order for us to succeed in doing this thing because <clears throat> it's very stressful when you never know if, if you're going to make it or not. Right. Yeah. And um, some people like the neighbor, like she kind of seemed like she didn't really, she didn't really think what, what could happen. Do, what does happen could happen. Right. Exactly. No, she was, I don't think she was necessarily naive about it, but I think she got comfortable because Ed White was always coming home, just like Neil Armstrong was always coming home or all the other guys before that who passed away. Um, like there's what, there was two other guys before we even get to the yeah. accident that yeah. die in a plane crash. They weren't mm -hmm. even in space. They just yeah. died in a plane crash. In a plane. Um, yeah. Yep. And there's a scene when they're driving home from one of the funerals where, you know, Claire Foy's character is just like, we got used to funerals a long time ago, but we haven't been to one in a long time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's very ominous because of what happens later in the movie and who she's saying it to. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's very, cause it doesn't really seem like Ed and his wife have thought too much about it or have experienced this all that much. And you know, this is a time period where still men aren't showing emotions, men aren't supposed to be vulnerable or anything like that. And it really feels like, whether it's true in real life or not, Ed was really trying to get through to Neil to still be present and be a dad. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if you want to talk about your daughter, that's fine. I'm here for you kind of a thing. And that door kind of closes, I feel like. Yeah, I really like that scene you were talking about where um, she, she talks about they went to like four funerals mm -hmm. for pilots in like, I think a year they said. Yeah. That's crazy when you see four people die. And at that point you kind of have to think it's just like a roll of the dice, right? Yeah. Again, like, it, it goes back to such a miracle. He made it as far as he did. And I yeah. think he has a lot of survivor's guilt a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you would have to, when yeah, you see I all these brilliant people, brilliant, brave, like incredible people. And they're just, they're dead. Yep. And young too. I'm sure a lot of these guys are played by actors who are probably in their late thirties, early forties, but I'd be curious to know just how old they were in real life. Um, especially some of the other characters later on, because um, who is it? Um, one of the guys, I can't remember his name, but he's, a, he's, uh, I think his last name is Schreiber. Um, he's playing Jim Lovell. And I didn't know that until I read the IMDb page of who he was playing. Um, mm -hmm. Just imagine like how he must've felt like watching all this too. Like, and then eventually what happens to him with Apollo 13? Um, like, right. Kind of crazy. <laughs> Cause you're like, once you realize who he's playing, you're like, Oh buddy, 
Mm. Like you're in for a world of hurt in a few years too. Yeah, yeah, you are. Yeah, exactly. Space is a dangerous place for humans. It's just as terrifying as the sea for me or the the water because it's so unknown. Um, I mean, I think we know more about space than we do about our own oceans, but it's still, I love the silence that they included in that because a lot of times in like Star Trek or Star Wars or stuff like that, you're hearing like the explosions and blah, 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 but it's a vacuum. You wouldn't hear anything. And I thought that was a very nice touch when there would be explosions. You're just seeing it happen. You kind of have to imagine it. Um, I thought that was very well done. It seemed like a fairly scientifically accurate film, in my opinion. Yeah, it did. They they definitely tried the more hard sci-fi route, right? They wanted to really replicate exactly what the experience was like. And, you know, we'll get into some of the, the scenes later with some of the missions that they go on, but yeah, I think they were really, they really did a great job of, of having an accurate representation of it. Yep. Um, so I, I forget what was the name of the guy, the like the first guy who dies in a crash, who's like a part of the. I think sort his, of, name was, his last name was C, um, S E E, um, but I don't remember what his first yeah, name Elliot, was. Yeah, Elliot. I think Elliot, it was Elliot yeah. C. Yeah. Elliot C. So um, he, yeah, he dies. Um, and you know, again, there's another funeral, and there's some interesting scenes where I forget was it was it Buzz Aldrin or something? I think it was him. Yeah, was Buzz like question- was a dick. Yeah, he was like. like I, was oh, well. I was wondering in real life if he was such a because he. I mean, he is saying what everybody's thinking, and there is a time and a place for that. Not at someone's funeral who just died horrifically, and like his wife could be in earshot. These are his friends. Like, for God's sakes. And I think there's a scene later where he says something like, well, I'm just saying what everybody's thinking. And yeah, like, yeah. maybe don't. Yeah. Maybe yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's, he's very blunt, and he's very blunt throughout the film. Yeah, if he wasn't a um, freaking American hero, I would not like him at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, look, I mean, people don't have to be likable, right? That's like, true. That's, he he got to worry. <laughs> well, I guess what I'm saying is he got to where he was because he's probably very smart. And maybe he doesn't really have a filter, but that doesn't make him a perfectly nice, sociable human, right? Exactly. (laughs) And people can say the same thing about Neil Armstrong, was that he wasn't very warm and inviting and touchy-feely and stuff like that. He was there to do his job. Like, I like when, you know, they ask Buzz Aldrin, is at the press conference, and he's like, yeah, my wife keeps sneaking in little things in my PPK kit or whatever, and... They asked Neil Armstrong, what would you take with you? And he's like, more fuel. Yeah, <laughs> which which is like, when we get to the actual landing on the moon, is actually very prescient. Like, he he's not joking. He is not joking when he says that. No, no, he's not joking. And that's the thing. That's a moment where I actually kind of appreciated Buzz Aldrin's character, is that he can tell that Neil doesn't want to be there, and that he really just wants to get this mission over with. And Buzz kind of, he kind of tries to lighten the mood, a little bit and get people laughing and you know yeah he's probably not trying to think about everyone else who's died too you know he's probably trying to just make light of it because hey i could blow up in the atmosphere i could we could just not make it um yeah so i think that was his way of trying to make himself and others a little more comfortable because this time the press is people are protesting the press thinks it's a bad idea there have been failed missions. Lives have been lost. The Russians have already beaten us. What's the point? Yeah, exactly. You know, so 
I think that's, I thought that was actually a pretty good scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if you just think about, I don't know if like we were probably too young to really like experience like the challenger mission. I know I was too young. I, I wasn't born yet. Um, I know my dad kind of talked a bit about it, but that what's crazy about that was there were people like who were in like middle school or even younger who watched that live. My brothers were watching Sesame Street and they cut in. As, oh, two. Yes. As, my as it was going off? Like, yes, it was blowing oh up. My, my oldest brother's mem first memory is the Challenger explosion. That's crazy. Yeah, it's that is crazy. I, I did not watch it for a very long time, and I kind of then when I went to the Air and Space Museum and I I was researching a little bit more about it, like on my own. I was like, well, why did it blow up? What happened? Like, this is a horrible tragedy. You know, I'm from New Hampshire. One of the women on the mm. on the Challenger was a school teacher. I think she was from Concord. I could be wrong though. Don't quote mm. me on that. Um, so I wanted to know just a little bit more about it and. I did end up watching it and you don't forget it. And I kind of no. wish I hadn't, and, but it wasn't for, because I thought it was cool or anything like that. I didn't watch it for some sick, morbid curiosity. Just, I felt like I kind of should. It's just, it's hard to describe. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it really just shows you there's a cost. And exactly. again, that's sort of the, the, the theme of this film, there's a cost to this, sort of human exploration that we're trying to do. Exactly. It is, yeah. It's the same reason I like going to Arlington Cemetery when I when yeah. I go visit my sister. I don't go because it's pretty. I go to give thanks and to appreciate lives that have been lost in various forms of conflict or mm -hmm. exploration. And it's utterly moving every time. And the first time I went, there was a funeral happening yeah. and we just sat in the car and cried because <laughs> it's one of the most emotional places you will ever visit because it goes on for miles and miles you can't see the whole thing in a single day mm -hmm. and actually my sister's fiance's grandfather's buried at arlington so we always go and lay something for him um yeah it's yeah it's the same reason i go there because i feel like i should <laughs> yeah <clears throat> yeah, totally. And, you know, these people like they, they do like, to be an astronaut, you basically have to be an extremely, extremely intelligent person, and also extremely physically fit. Like these are like the type of person who is an astronaut is such a almost like peak unique human. Superhuman. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. Superhuman. Like, and uh... mm -hmm. I was just going to say, like, definitely superhuman. Def not only do you have to be incredibly fit and intelligent, you have to have nerves of steel. Yeah, nerves like, of steel. I'm yeah. getting chills thinking about it, honestly. Yeah. So, and, and that kind of reminds me of there's this great scene where they, it's the first, basically like the first class of these uh, NASA, NASA astronaut people. And, you know, they basically tell them, okay, here's, these are the things we're going to need to do in order to get to the moon. And so we have to do them sequentially and we have to be able to do all these things. And then we're going to do the moon moon landing mission. 
And so <clears throat> they run them through a bunch of tests. And at the beginning, they have this, this test where you, they put you on, basically they're simulating, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but it's like spinning very rapidly and you have to stabilize it. Um, despite the fact that a normal person would be knocked out instantaneously. Uh -huh. <clears throat> and so Neil gets on the thing and he's trying to stabilize it. He can't, but he's, he, he's like, okay, yeah, let me, let me keep going. Um, and he does it again. And then there's a scene where he's just throwing up in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, and there's kind of this moment before him and Ed become friends where like the first yeah. time he passes out, they're like, okay, Ed, you're up. And Neil's like, no, I can do it. And Ed yeah, yeah, yeah. like, okay, cocky son of a bitch. And then he throws yeah. up right after. <laughs> yeah. Like they all think they're not going to puke. Yeah. But you know that they all do. Yeah. And then there's a great, so they, they take them from that and then they put them in this like class, right? Where they're like, okay, here's rocket science 101. We're going to cover one chapter, which is 605 pages. And what I loved yeah. about that scene, there's one guy, he has puke on his shirt. He, he just threw up and now he's in class trying to learn <laughs> like like what if this is your 10 hour day in a crash course of being an astronaut dude and the thing is what i love is like everybody kind of looks at it like one through 602 or something like that and neil's just like taking notes he's like because he's such, he seems like he would be like the nerd <laughs> one mm -hmm. you know um, yeah because there's always that quiet, nerdy one who's always—he's like the underdog almost. Because he's already failed yeah. a bunch of times, but then it kind of, kind of makes him feel better because other people fail too, and it's okay. And I think he even says that later on, like we need to fail down here so we yes. don't fail up there. Mm -hmm. Like, yep. And that's—I like that. Yeah. Um, there was even like when he goes into the first, um, <clears throat> uh, when he fr first applies his job, like someone there's like an offhand comment like, "Oh, he's an egghead," you know. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got that reputation of being like the really, really intelligent guy. And on top of that, he's also a civilian. I think it was only yes. two people who were civilians who did the moon landing. And it was him and one other guy. And he was, he didn't have any military experience. He was an engineer, but he was just, you know, he was just a civilian. Civilian yeah. egghead. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, we we're the best and brightest, right? <laughs> so, okay. Then we come to later this really cool scene with the Gemini 8 mission. So this is a, I, I think this mission was about, um, they needed to, to launch something into space and then have it sort of Dock redock. Yeah, exactly. So <clears throat> that's their mission. Uh, they take off into space. That's successful. Things are going well. And then some crazy stuff happens where the unexpected happens and they kind of have to um, do something on the flyer or else they're just going to be dead, right? This is the scene that made me very dizzy. I, would, yeah. I got so dizzy watching yeah. this scene. Like when he's in that little contraption earlier in the movie, I'm just like, oh yeah, that because especially when it gives you the POV shot. Yeah. But when they're just like going around and around and you see, I think it's a, it's not like a pressure scale or something, but it's, it's like how fast he's spinning per second yes. or something like yes. that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like going over the red line Yeah. and he has to figure out a way to make it stop spinning mm -hmm. and he can't hear anyone. Like there's all this white noise. It sounds, parts of this movie reminded me of almost like a, a hidden monster 
type movie, the way it was filmed with all the noises and you're trapped in this tiny little space. Um, oh, it was very tense because you're like, I know he makes it to the moon again, mm-hmm. but will he actually make it to the yeah. moon? Like, <laughs> Like, was it really him or did they just like clone him like, like one of him died? Fail, and this is actually just like it is a fake moon landing kind of a thing because this is freaking me out that he's not gonna make it and the other guy passes out yeah. like oh my god like again nerves of steel like yeah and and if if he wasn't able to stabilize the ship like they're just dead they're, they're dead spinning like yeah. i would imagine because when he does stabilize it he's far enough away when he detaches from the agena that thing just gets that thing's still spinning so mm-hmm. it kind of, i would imagine that they would have just kept spinning until they were mush like because that's just, so terrifying right it's you're so terrifying because exactly when you're in space there's nothing there's no friction so they, they yeah they probably would just spun until they re-entered and they would have just burned into ash and oh yeah just burn up in the atmosphere like, yeah another another failed mission right uh, whoops and who knows how long they would have kept spinning until that would have all happened like uh i guess yeah like, and, these people do things that i would never ever do like yeah I yeah like i said you have to be a certain kind of human to be able to to do this stuff mm-hmm. um and, you know, and that goes right back to that, that scene we were talking about earlier where, you know, basically their first day they test them. And they do that for a reason, right? Like, you have to be able to withstand that high level of G-force and think on the fly and be able to react and do something or else you will die. Yep. <laughs> space is an evil motherfucker. It is, and they, they portray that. They portray that space is not your friend and that you, sh- quite frankly, we shouldn't be there. Yeah. Um, it's not our space, no pun intended. Um, and it's not a safe place to be. And that, then that, that's why I feel like sometimes it's almost like a creature feature because you hear these yeah. abnormal, horrible, frightening noises that are probably just sounds that the ship is making, but it sounds like a monster. It's like they portray space as a monster. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They do. It's, it's like, it's like, it's like the villain or something, you know? It's like this exactly. this entity. Because there's no one really working against them, except, yeah, they're trying to beat the Russians, which doesn't happen. We lose to the Russians. Um, but they're trying to create this, this, like you said, villain that is just there. It's just floating out there. And yeah. we're invading its space. And it's fighting back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nope, I'm going to kick you out. Try again. Yeah. So yeah, so they go into the roll and reentry, and then he's able to stabilize it, and they, you know, they're able to, 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 to get out of it and land safely, thankfully, thanks to to Neil, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and so, on top of that, now after the mission, he gets to deal with all the bureaucrats, right? <laughs> so Pretty so much. now everyone's everyone's second guessing what happened to him and he's in this congressional it's like a half congressional half i don't know some nasa people inquiry and they're like oh so why'd you why'd you detach why'd you do this blah 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 <laughs> it costs so much money yeah i know <laughs> like, well i was either gonna spin and turn into noodles or yeah. <laughs> i detached 
Especially since they're not yeah. sure what actually happened. They thought it was the Achina's computer system. They thought it was the Gemini. They thought it was. They just don't know. There was too many, too many variables, yeah. probably. The, the other thing too is like, I, I, it's it's hard. Okay, so the technology they were using at the time was like like your your cell phone. Your cell phone has more computing power than the stuff that they flew into space. Just think about that. You're they still made it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So these these people were strapped onto nothing. I mean, it's it's literally like some Wiley Coyote kind of shit. It's like strap a guy to a rocket and see if he makes it. Yep. With like so little protection. Like I can imagine it was probably cold in the capsules too. Um I can imagine that it was not very comfortable. I mean, just the way they filmed it, I can see that it's not a very comfortable space. Um, like going to the bathroom, like eating. Yeah. Like, uh, like you that were stuff, strapped to dynamite and hoping. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. That stuff kind of makes me a little claustrophobic. Like those capsules mm. are like hella tiny. I mean, and you're in a spacesuit. Again, that, nerves of steel. That kind of makes me uncomfortable. And then they, you know, they, they do these really cool, great shots of like seeing when they get locked in. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, I'm, I'm stuck in this thing. And yep. if something bad happens, I am, I, like, there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to move. Your moving space is probably the width of a trash can. Like, yeah. that's how far you can move your, your elbows, your arms. You have all of your, all of your, panels are literally right in front of you because yeah. if they're not, you can't, you only have like a few inches to move. Um, yeah. 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 Like it's literally very... archaic trash can type material. Um, hope that that's just strong enough not to kill you going through the atmosphere. It's just strong enough because the yeah. very beginning of the film, you see the nose of his ship glowing because like, it's so hot. <laughs> And you're inside that. <laughs> yeah, you're inside that. Yeah. No, thank you. Very scary. Very scary stuff. Um, but yeah, I thought that the the way that they shot the scene was really well done. Because like now they're really in space. And that scene, like you said, with when they're spinning, it's it's really cool the way that they depict space. And it's, it's it feels and looks very accurate. Yes. So I really like that. <clears throat> um. So yeah, so after you know Neil, um, he you know has the inquiry, and basically there's another meeting where they're like, you know, hey, um, you know, you did a good job. We don't know what happened, but who cares? You 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 got out of it. You're here. <laughs> You're here because like if 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 you messed up, you wouldn't be here. You'd be dead. So now we're going to the Apollo mission, which is the the next step getting closer to doing the moon landing. Um, and then, yeah, there's this really interesting montage where they talk, where there's a whole bunch of people that like, they have a lot of archival footage of people talking about like, Oh, is this, is this really justified? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. People are poor. And then there's Kurt Vonnegut. Yep. Him talking about like, Hey, I think I'd rather <laughs> have a good, you know, li- like be able to live in New York city. Cause at this point, in American history. So a couple things I wanted to talk about was like, um, 
this was this was the the most we've ever spent on space exploration in the history of the country which relatively is actually not a lot but like nasa's budget peaked in like the in like the mid to early 60s it's like 63 64 65 um and it was 4% of our federal budget holy shit so yeah if you and now it's like 0.2% <laughs> just to think about like for a comparison so this was a big deal and this was like uh, I mean, it, you know, it was a relatively, they were spending a lot and it was, they were making a big deal of it. And we we're really trying to do this thing. And you're not really sure if it's going to happen, right? No, yeah. Um, a lot of people have died and, you know, maybe it's going to work. I mean, it's a crapshoot. It's, it's really a crapshoot. And, um, you know, they, I think, I think they do a good job of like talking about like there, again, there was a societal cost to this. There was an economic cost to this. There was a emotional cost to doing this. Yeah. And all those things have to be to be brought into into play. But as a society, we decided we are going to do this thing. We're going to spend the money. We're going to spend the human capital. I mean, these people could have done all kinds of other things. We decided to send them to space and put them on the moon. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I mean, you know, I, I obviously think it's justified. I'm kind of a space nerd or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, there was definitely thoughts at the time, and, and especially in the late 60s, things in big cities started to take a turn for the worse. Crimes oh, yeah. started going up, and we, we, didn't, we basically didn't know why. We yep. didn't know why we, like, you know, we have better theories about, about it now, why it happened. But a lot of people are like, hey, you know, our big cities like, like New York, they're in decay and people are leaving them in droves. How, why don't we fix our fix that instead of going to the moon? Oh, yeah. New York City used to be just like a shithole. Like, yeah. nobody wanted to live there. It was crime. There was gangs. There was a very few safe places to live. It didn't have all the Hollywood people that want to live there now. Or maybe you had your theater people. But even that was... Like, theater was still kind of, not, I don't want to use, like, any kind of negative term, but it was kind of still bohemian. It was still very bohemian, I think. Um, but, yeah, it was some, like, Detroit shithole at that oh, point. God. Not yeah. great. Um, yeah. The auto industry wasn't probably what it was. And It was dying, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like it was a mass effect of just trauma especially with Vietnam. Yeah. Um, people coming yep. back, shell shock, PTSD, missing limbs. Like, again, I think we talked about this last week of, you know, World War II veterans were welcome home and they were sailors kissing nurses in Times Square. <laughs> Hell yeah. Sounds like a party. Not the same with Vietnam vets, you know. Yeah. Especially when you, they even kind of throw that in a little bit in the movie with the chanting, LBJ, how many babies did you kill today? Yeah. You know, that was yeah. going on. Um there was no hope. <laughs> like it felt like a very yeah. hopeless place. Yeah. Um, and again, that's just like a, ma a massive, like even now what's happening, we are going to see the after effects of major mass trauma, like oh, yeah. on yeah. an emotional and psychological scale that a lot of people are not dealing with very well. Um, I was in total denial at the beginning of, at no, the beginning of April, I was in total denial of what was going on. And it was not healthy. And I think a lot of people were. And 
I feel like this comes in waves. It comes in waves. And yeah, I feel like they just wanted to keep with it to maybe bring some hope to mm -hmm. a very wounded America. I guess that's my long-winded yeah. adage to all that. <laughs> no, I think that was good. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it. yeah, that that was a bad time, right? The 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 kind of late 60s, the Vietnam War is not going well. On top There's, of civil rights, too. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. And, like, because, like, in the late, right, 68, everyone died, basically. A whole bunch of people die. Hmm. Um, Kennedy is killed. I oh, mean, Ken when, Kennedy, when, when, Kennedy, when John F. Kennedy died, that destroyed that destroyed the country honestly well, it was well. like he was young he was handsome he was the president of the united states dynastic family good irish good irish catholic boy <laughs> um beautiful wife perfect kids when behind the scenes he had a lot of issues <laughs> a lot of freaking issues um uh, i mean i know it's not like a great family or anything like that. I know they have some skeletons in that closet and probably a lot of it's rumor and, you know, conjecture, well, but I have a lot of sympathy for certain members of that family. Yeah. I have a lot of respect yeah. and sympathy for mostly the wives. Yes. And yeah. then they killed Bobby. Yeah. It, it's just like, how much can, a, how much can a country take? Right. Have you seen the, the video of there? It was, uh, filmed when Bobby told a crowd of people that Martin Luther King Jr. had been assassinated. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. The, that was that that was a really important moment. And because he really he really made a difference in that because people I think they said every other city rioted except where he was when he gave it, that speech. Because he connected on a human level with he people. Did. He connected on a human level. He knew the man and to a certain degree, and he—you just see how miserable he looks, and yeah. it's so awful. It's um, a good documentary I watched over the summer was uh, Bobby Kennedy for President. Very good. Mm -hmm. um, it's just so sad. <laughs> yeah, it gives you a good look into that time period and what was happening internally, externally, and. Just this, it's just so, it's just, all I can think of is that he was just a, such a sad person. Just mm -hmm. the trauma, again, mm -hmm. of a nation on your shoulders. It's like, and you're trying to make yeah. it better. You just want to make yeah. it better. Um, yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. It, it's just, it's such a tumultuous time period. Yeah. I mean, this is all the 60s. Like, you know, if you look at where the world, where America was in like 1960, in comparison to 1969, I mean, it is a world apart. It is a world apart. I mean, 1960. Yeah, I mean, in 1960, we're still kind of in the the cute, beautiful, you know, Nuclear 1950s. Family. Yeah, everything's fine. We think the world is great, but little do you know that there are a lot of problems that are going to have to come to the surface with civil rights, with you know, the the, the fact that. We can't. We can't even protect the president. You can't even keep him from getting shot in the head. No, no. Like, mo like he got. It's not like he got shot once. Like, yeah, multiple times. Uh, he got shot multiple times from, I believe, multiple different people. 
that's just me. That's just physics <laughs> or science or whatever. Um, but I think I there's a lot of conspiracy theories surrounding that. My I always come back to the fact no matter who shot him, no matter who was behind it, this was a public execution and it was to make a point. This was to make a point. America, you are not safe. Like, yeah, public out in the open, women and children are there. He's not even the only one who got shot. Like, yeah, yeah I thought it was, yeah. I think yeah. it was whatever, whatever's behind it, whatever you believe, the end result is this was to make a very serious point mm-hmm. of, of many different things with a lot of different consequences. Mm-hmm. And have you ever seen the yeah. movie Jackie? No, I haven't seen that yet. That's the Natalie Portman movie, right? Yes, and it yeah, is. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. Outstanding. Outstanding. Yeah, I might, I might try and watch that. There, there's, there's some good stuff about the Kennedys in different films. I kind of wish they would just let him rest in peace at this point. But Jackie was one that I was just like, okay, I'll, I'll give it a go. I'll, I'll I think give it that a try. that one had been in the works for a long time. I mean, she's a, she's a iconic American figure for sure. Yeah. On a lot of, on a lot of levels. And she usually takes the back burner to most movies made about the Kennedys anyway. Yeah, um, it's kind of fucked up, but yeah, yeah. it's it's unfortunate, but it's a very mm. good film. Very good film. Yeah. So again, that's the backdrop of people trying to land on the moon, right? Like, oh. like, like the country, the country has gone through one of its most tumultuous tumultuous time periods in a long time. It's and people war. are trying to. Yeah, it's at war with another country and itself. Yeah. And it's just, wow, it's basically, it's yeah. the, what's happening now in the recent months with everything going on, it's just like history repeats itself, dude. With a pandemic or a war, yeah. it repeats itself. And it's eerie. <laughs> yeah. And so on top of this, so now we then come to the scene where uh, they're, I don't know, were they doing a test or something? Uh and then there's a fire in the cockpit because of an electrical malfunction. And the three pilots in that are all burned alive and die. Yeah. And so he get he gets a call on the phone. Like he's at a party or something. He gets a call on the phone and then you know they basically tell him, Oh, you need to you need to leave. I think he's in DC. He's like, You need I to think leave he's DC. At the White now. House doing some kind of like press tour or something yeah. like that, trying to make NASA Me- look good. Meeting with Congress people and you know. And again, that was another where they, there's more stuff like, oh, is this really worth it? Blah, blah, blah. It costs so much money. Blah, 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 blah. Um, and yeah, he gets a phone call and he's like, you do, I don't know how to tell you this, but there was an accident and three people died. And so you need to you need to leave because we don't want you to talk to the press. I think you would okay. have had some seriously choice words if they had let him talk to the press. I think he would have yeah. definitely not been... I think you would have spoken with emotion, probably. Thought, yeah. Then, yeah. With his career in mind. I know. So I what? Do, yeah. Right. So what do you think of like um, Ryan Gosling's performance in this very film? Very good. Yeah. Very good. Um, I think he's very good at playing quiet, shy types. Um, yeah, stoic people. He's yeah, very, very stoic in this film. He's very good at acting with little dialogue. Um, he's very he's, expressive. Very impressive. Um, he's able to emote very well. Um, I thought his, his in, he had a very interesting voice for Neil Armstrong. 
Um, I haven't, I've heard Neil Armstrong's famous, you know, one leap um, dial or not dialogue um, speech before. Um, so I know what his voice sounds like over a radio, but not how he sounds in a conversation or anything like that. But I like the voice choice that um, Ryan Gosling went with. Um, yeah, I thought, I think, I think he's a good actor and he's very good at playing these very quiet, intelligent characters. Um, and on the flip side of that, he can be very funny and play a very confident character as well. Um, not that his quiet characters aren't confident, but it's not, he's not showing off or anything like that. Um, I love him in the film drive. That was the film oh, that yeah. really appreciate his acting as before. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, it's just that guy from the notebook, whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't want, mm -hmm. I've never seen mm -hmm. it personally. Um, <laughs> this is not my cup of tea. I know, I know I'll probably like it, but I don't care. Um, but no, I thought he was very good. I thought it was a well-cast movie all the way around. You know, people I recognize who, even if I don't know their names, I've seen their work and other things. Um, yeah, I thought it was good. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Like his, his performance is strong and he, you know, there's a couple scenes, like there's a scene at the beginning where, um, you know, it's the funeral and he kind of goes privately somewhere and he's just crying mm -hmm. um, and just like, I thought, you know, and scenes like this, the scene here and, and just the way the, that he, him and the director sort of show how he's bottling all this emotion yes. in a way. And he's, he's always trying to keep this really stoic, never, never flinches, never shows you that he's hurting kind of, it, I, I thought it was really, really amazing the way that he depicted him. Um, yeah, because they keep trying to was, break him, like throughout yeah. the movie, with either death or an accident, yeah, or something goes wrong. They just because he he does snap at one point when he's on the phone and he looks down, he broke the glass, like yeah, that's him internalizing everything. Yeah, and it comes out, and oh, it's just so it's so tragic. It's just yeah. so sad. Like I just feel so bad for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's a human being can only take so much, right? Mm -hmm. I think uh, when he does step off and get to the moon, it's kind of like it was worth it. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and then um, we get another scene where, um, so his his wife Janet, she. Um, it's just like at home and then she sees her neighbor, right? Who she's been friends with this whole time. And her, her, her neighbor who, whose husband just died, she's kind of like shell-shocked. Like it's looked Catatonic, like she went, yeah. looked like she went shopping or something. And um, like her kids are inside the house and she was like getting something out of the trunk and she's just standing there and just not moving, not doing anything. And Janet kind of goes over and helps her out. But again, this is the emotional cost of doing this thing. Yeah. Like right? Janet, like Neil's still alive, but he's kind of turning into a shell of who she married. And her best friend is catatonic because her husband's dead. And that's an emotional labor. Like she goes, you don't know what happens, but she brings her in the house. But when she goes back to her, she's chain smoking a cigarette because she just can't take yeah. it. Like this, that's her emotional trauma coming out because she's on pins and needles. Like 
oh god like it's it's not fun worrying about the safety of your of your loved one it's really not like it's very true like that it is especially yeah. when you don't want to appear like oh i'm just a crying housewife who's sad about her husband not coming home it's like no it's it the, the stakes are a little bit higher than that and so they do a really good job of juxtaposing this with uh so there's a scene where uh neil is sort of doing a test run on earth of the lunar landing thing i forget what it's called but so basically their plan is they're gonna have uh so our rocket goes it goes into orbit with the moon they shoot off another rocket and then that rocket lands on the moon and then they have a lunar lander that's kind of gonna hover it's gonna hover on the moon and then get them to their spot so they're doing the test on earth and the test doesn't go great you know that's what happens uh, that's why you do tests protecting him no like there's nothing <laughs> protecting him he has a, a an ejection button he can press and that's it and that's if he yeah. hits it in time and yeah. that's if he doesn't fly over the flames and get baked alive yeah. like there's so many ifs that's yeah. if you hit it on time if you don't get burned alive and if you don't break <laughs> your legs and your back while you're landing in a parachute over rough terrain yeah like yeah and and he gets injured like he he mm -hmm. gets injured in this not not like seriously or fatally but he is injured in this uh, come up. yeah and they, there's this really interesting uh dialogue that he has with some of the you know the people that are overseeing him like the the nasa head kind of people right and they're like and like like you said the, like he has the line you know we we have to fail down here so we don't fail up there and they're like, oh well, but but what at what cost? Like, what's the what, what's the cost of doing it if you know if, if something were to happen? And then he says, like, if you wanted to think about the cost, that was like a long time ago. We're too late for that. Mm -hmm. People are already dead. That's what we've gotten ourselves into. This is yeah, what we have is, to do. This is where we're at now. <laughs> yeah, basically. And so this is what this is what you signed up for. <laughs> yeah. And then so. So the, the scene happened with uh, Janet and the wife of the person who died. And so then he comes home, right? Yep, While she's chain smoking. <laughs> he's, got, he's got like basically a chunk of his head's kind of missing is what it looks like. And he's, he's like running around and she's like, oh, what happened? What happened? Uh, well, um, oh, I need to get this, this thing. And, and he's just not answering her, right? He's yeah. not answering her. He's, he's emotionally distant. And then he's like, I don't, you know, he just kind of leaves. He yeah, just kind of makes an excuse. Like I got to go back to work or something. He changes his shirt and goes to work and just kind of leaves her there with more emotional baggage. Because I think what happens a lot of time in relationships, if you don't talk about something that's bothering you, then you don't worry your partner. But we grow to know our partner so well that we know something's bothering them regardless. And it makes us worry even more. So that never helps. It never helps. Like you come yeah. home with blood all over your face and you don't tell me why. And then you leave again later. That that just makes me even more afraid of what's going on. Yeah. So it's yeah. his plan isn't working no matter what. Yeah. You know, he's hurting his wife. He's hurting his kids. And he just he doesn't realize that because he thinks in his mind if i'm detached nobody gets hurt yes exactly like he he that's his um 
that's his coping mechanism, right? If I just sort of keep them distant, if I detach from it, if I just do my own thing, um, and and he probably has to be fearing death at this point, right? He has to oh, think. Yeah. He he probably you know he's the type of person who he knows how how likely it is that he's going to die. And you know it's probably in the 50 55 percent range. It's it's more than a coin flip, right? Okay. And so at that point, and he's he's just he, you know I mean, there's something also very selfless about that, right? Where you you know that you're putting yourself at risk, but you keep doing it anyway because there's this greater good. There's this larger thing that you're a part of that that needs you. They like the mission needed him. It needed his resolve and his intelligence and his ability to be able to 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 handle these situations but yeah i think he's kind of accepted he's already dead in a way (laughs) especially after ed white and and gus grissom and the last guy who again i'm so sorry i don't remember his name um die i think he just kind of okay i'm already dead i'm just gonna live as if i've already i'm already dead and that way it's easier which is why I think he doesn't want to tell his kids I'm probably not coming back. Yeah. It's just it's yeah. easier not to acknowledge these things. Um, yeah. Especially since it can happen so quickly. Like, I don't think the three men who died were on, were going to space. It was literally a test. I think they were it was just, a test. Test, it was, they were just testing something and it happened and it, it happened very quickly and it happened suddenly and nobody was expecting it, least of all the three men who were in the capsule. And it's as shocking to the audience, because unless you know your history very well, if you're not just a viewer who doesn't know who these men were, then you don't know what's going to happen. I didn't think, I didn't think of what was going to happen until I saw the D. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's just, oh, and then the capsule just crushes, and that's it. Yeah. Like, it's so jarring, especially since you grow to love, like, Ed, because he's such a good friend. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Ugh, God. Yeah, it's it sick. It makes me so sick. It... Like, in a sad way, you know? Like, you're so mm-hmm. sad, and you're like, oh, I just need, like, to hug my dog right now. Or... <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm glad it wasn't gratuitous or anything like that. I thought no, it was. No. If you can show something like that and have it be tasteful i think you did a good job as a filmmaker and it was very appropriate and i think it was very kind like Mm -hmm. i think there's some filmmakers who would have gone overboard with it and probably would have made it terrible but and it just affects neil in such a important way like it fuels his his resolve to continue what he's doing but it, it just hurts him and his family in the long run too yeah I mean, it's such an important, I think it's an important part of the story mm-hmm. because it's like, I mean, there's so many people that gave their lives to do this thing. Right. And, you know, they, at every step, they don't know if they can accomplish it, but they keep putting all of themselves into it. And it's, it's really, you know, it was, it's, it, it was an amazing, and it's really, like I said, like our cell phone today has more has more computing power than what they sent these people into space with. So the, the, the real, the, the thing that got them there was the people, the humans, Mm -hmm. the actual human beings that did it. 
So they are the ones who really were able to accomplish this thing. And it just shows you what a human can do. Yep. Like just a human being with their intelligence and, and their resolve can accomplish these kind of kinds of things. Not it's beyond the technology. Yeah, like exactly. a human being. It's oh, incredible. Like, really. We think we're so crazy smart and intelligent with our iPads and our cell phones. And like, that is yeah. all amazing and great. But look what these people did without it. Look what yeah. they did without it with just, a tin can and their own intelligence having to be sometimes maybe smarter than a computer. Um, yeah. yeah smarter I, than the computers of the time for sure. Basically. Exactly. Um, kind of makes you wonder if, you know, Oh, well is, should you rely on an intelligent human being to do this equation or the computer to do it? Like it's, I, I love stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, going forward um, in the plot. So they, they, you know, resolve that issue with, well, I, I guess there's some underlying issues emotionally that are bubbling right between Neil and his wife, yeah. Janet. And um, I think later on there's, they do another mission, another Gemini mission that's successful. And so they're basically, oh, it's an Apollo mission. I'm sorry. And they're, it's, it's a go to go to the moon pretty much. Yep. Um, and so, you know, the world's excited, but you know, is his wife excited? Mm. Are, <laughs> Are the other wives excited? Right? I like, don't think so. Um, and then there's this this interesting scene where, like, so Janet's like talking with one of their, I think, I think it's their younger son, maybe I forget. And she's she tells she tells him like. Oh, well, you know, your dad's going to the moon. And then he says, okay, can I go outside and play? <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> like, again, they just don't. Kids don't process the consequence. They're like, okay, he's going to come home yeah. for dinner, so I'm just going to go play yeah. outside. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. They think, they think he's just, he's just, he's dad, you know? He'll be yep. back. I, um, and Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, I'm sure I've had some moments in my childhood where my parents told me something important and serious, and I was just kind of like, okay, how yeah. does it affect me now? Like, yeah. you wish that you don't yeah. have those reactions, but you're a kid. You don't know any better. Yeah, you're a kid. You you're know. a kid. Yeah. So then Neil is getting ready to leave, and so basically they're talking about, you know, he's going to, even if he gets back, he's going to have to be gone for like a month or so pretty much the oh, probably more than that yeah he has to do three weeks of quarantine if he comes back um and you know again he's emotionally distant he's packing and she's like uh are you gonna say anything to us before you leave and he, he... sorry oh sorry motorcycle yeah yeah so she's like are you gonna say anything to us before you leave and he's he pretty much doesn't want to he doesn't want to he doesn't want to do it he doesn't want to deal with it. Yeah, he doesn't want to have to deal with it. And she forces him, she forces him to tell their kids that there is a distinct possibility that he will not make it back. And so they all sit down and he he gives a very it's really interesting the way that they play that scene, right? Like he talks to them, his kids, like he was talking to the press or something. Like he gives these very robotic scientific answers oh we expect that the mission will be a success mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what he tells his kids because at this point he's been so detached i don't think he knows yeah. how to talk to them 
And yeah. I think it kind of bites him in the ass in that moment. And I think he realizes, oh, maybe I should have had something better to say. Because he's not prepared because he was just planning on leaving. Yeah. And I love that she makes him do that. Because you you need to be honest with your kids. Even if they're not going to understand in the moment, later on, hindsight is twenty twenty. Later on, they will remember why it was important dad had that conversation with us yeah and what i what i really found interesting too so he goes through with it and then you know janet his wife is happy like okay great you can go to bed now now you you can go to bed now <laughs> so the younger kid hugs him right mm -hmm. his older son shakes his hand i think that's very like telling of the times the time period like yeah your your youngest is still young you can still give him a hug your oldest maybe shake his hand like it's very telling of the time period i feel like i thought that was i thought that just that told it all to mm -hmm. me like the the older son he's he's you know he's he's been through this thing with his dad so much he's gotten so much of the 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 engineer speak that he you know he's like his dad he's used to it you know he's, yeah He's learned from what he's surrounded by. There's also a giant plane, I think. <laughs> <sighs> and another motorcycle. Sorry, one second. It's uh. <sighs> okay. It's all good. Okay. Air Force Base. Motorcycle. Yeah, 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 you yeah. Know, the usual. <laughs> So yeah, that scene, I, I really like that scene with, with the kids because I felt like that really juxtaposed what, what he's done, right? What he, what he's done with the way that he's been emotionally absent, what, what effect that had on his own children. And I, I just thought that was really stark that his, his older son wouldn't even give him a hug, just shook his hand. Yeah. Couldn't, I couldn't imagine doing that to my dad. If he was, if he could have died, I would have been very emotional and oh. you know both of them were not like they were very emotional about it right uh -huh. <laughs> the son the younger son gave him a hug and then he kind of went to bed <laughs> like okay i'm gonna go to bed now amazing yeah so he goes off and he's this is it they're going to the moon um and you know what i really liked is that they 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 had them the nasa guys they read the speech that they prepared for nixon in case they either died or didn't make it, mm -hmm. which was a real thing. And so it just, again, it shows you, they, they didn't even really think they, they, they were planning for the possibility that they were not going to make it. Which I think right. is pretty realistic to do. I think that's yeah. smart of them to do. Don't, don't plan on it being a success because otherwise that's going to be really difficult to deal with. You know, when they talk about how like, it'll be as if it'll, it was a funeral at sea or something yeah. like that. Um, mm -hmm. And to have that in your mind when you're going up there, like, yeah, there's a speech prepared if I die. <laughs> yeah. This is not a for sure thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, again, like the, the stuff, the space stuff with the, the ships and everything, I thought, I thought it was really well done. Like it, it, it looked great. I thought they pulled it off really well. Um, and so they, they, the, the launch is good. They're in space. They are, I think it's, it's a couple of days to the moon, right? Yeah. So they're getting to the moon. Um, and then they have their approach 
to the moon and they're they're gonna do their disembark and land and then we get to this really harrowing moment in the film where they're on the they're on the lander and they pass over a crater right oh my god not only do they pass over a crater but they're running out of fuel I think they pass over it with like three percent fuel or something yeah, like three like percent left. And Neil is like, really, um, yeah. I mean, again, if it, if it wasn't him, if it was someone with lesser skill who wasn't really prepared for this moment, they could have fallen into the crater, and that's it. That's it. We wouldn't have had a moon landing. Um, there was a lot of things working against them, but then again, it was also a combination of the right people and the right timing um, that made it successful um and buzz is sweating buzz is yeah. really sweating in that in that yeah. capsule and alarms are going off they're like what's a what's a 1201 mean and they're like i don't know <laughs> and like command is like uh yeah we're working on that and then they're like what's a 1202 <laughs> like two separate alarm goes off and they have no idea what yeah. it means and i don't yeah. even think command gets back to them with an answer in time they just like land it and he's like gotta get over this okay. crater i gotta get over this crater and he's just so focused he narrows his vision to the other side of it and he still has to land that's the thing like he yeah get over the crater but he still has to land yeah you have to pass this so. crater and then land and i really liked the way that they directed this scene and like the way that they showed all of the because like there's this there's small little pane where you can see outside and again, space is a place where human beings are not meant to be. Uh-uh. It's very dark. It's very cold. It's a vacuum. And you can just, it just, it feels, it feels scary. It feels uh, unsafe. And I think they really got that across really well in the scene. And like, it's super, da- it is super dangerous. And yeah. it is very easy for things to go terribly wrong. Oh, yeah. Um, like- and- yeah. One little screw comes loose in that tin foil capsule. You're screwed. No. <laughs> like, you're this... screwed, man. If that was bolted in or welded just right, boom, you're dead. Yeah. But <laughs> so Neil Neil pulls it off. Like with oh. barely any fuel left, Neil pulls it off. And the eagle has landed and they did it. Yeah. Um and then, you know, he yeah, and then he's on the moon, and that's I thought that was a really beautiful scene. Oh, yeah. I was, like, he's on the really moon. emotional. I felt so proud. Yeah. It was this yeah. weird sense of, like, pride yeah. in him that he was able to accomplish that. But I, like, I was feeling so many different things. And um, I think they used the actual, um, like, voice recording of the guy who mm-hmm. was guiding them kind of a thing. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, we can all, we have a lot of blue faces down here now. We can all breathe kind of a thing. Like mm-hmm. that makes it feel more natural too that they use the real voice. And yeah. his just when he's on the ladder and like I love when they look down, they're strapping each other into the suits and they're like, This is it. This is it. <laughs> this is yeah. it. And, and he leaves that footprint and you know, says one s- small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, which is again they use the archival uh version of that. And there's a lot of other archival footage that they use. It Which sounded like a very good, again, the sound mixing in this movie was phenomenal. It was amazing. I could 
hear Ryan Gosling's voice, but I could also hear Neil Armstrong's voice, and I wasn't sure if they overlapped it or anything like that, or if they gave if it was actually just the recording of yeah. Neil Armstrong. But it was a nice piano. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, Sorry about that. I know you're fine. Um, but it was it was a, it was a beautiful moment. I love that you could yeah. see their faces. You just saw like, like oh, I love that. Stars, like. I love it, that. Yeah, uh, it was what, because I the reflection felt, in in their helmet was just yeah, beautiful. I still felt plenty of emotion, and I still felt yeah. in the moment without seeing some pretty actor's face or something like that. And I like that. I love that touch. It was so so well done. I felt like it felt more real. Yeah, I just I I I I love that that part of the scene, and they do put like an emotional sort of button on it. Uh, when he like, so he took up the bracelet of his, of his daughter who passed away and he just, he leaves it there. Yeah. He lets her um, go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He finally kind of is able to emotionally move on. Um, well, like what is the most emotionally yeah, it's, it's amazing. Distant, a, a distant place, not on yeah. earth that yeah. you could leave something behind. It's yeah. the vacuum of space where it's just vast and she can go and be out there as stardust. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's a beautiful scene. You don't have to look too hard to find the metaphor in it. Um, and it's just, it's kind of like, because yeah. you only really see him, him interact with his daughter. Um, yes. You see the emotional toll it takes on his wife, but he's the one holding her. He's the one telling her stories. And he's the one on the phone with people telling them, oh, we're trying to find a doctor in Canada or somewhere. And he's the one who hasn't really let her go. Yes. And yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a beautiful scene. It really is. Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it choked me up. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know if it actually happened in, in real life that way or however it happened, but I thought it was a, a nice little um, ending to that, that subplot yeah. of his, him not being able to get over it. Because it really, it puts, it creates a, an emotional thing for this kind of very kind of hard science-y type of mission, yeah. right? Um, so, person. yeah, exactly. He's still a person, even though he's kind of giving these very kind of robotic <laughs> answers to the stuff. He's still a person who feels emotion, and we get an emotional payoff with that scene. Um, yeah, and so, yeah, the mission's a success. They get there, and they get back alive yeah that's the getting back part too like hey we made it but are we gonna get back yeah i yeah. love seeing them bounce <laughs> i don't know when he's watching i think he's watching buzz bounce on the moon or something yeah, like yeah, that yeah, 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 watching yeah. him and even though again you can't see his face he's just you can imagine he's probably smiling i yeah. think he's smiling um there's just this giddiness i feel like that surrounds it because i love when he's like almost hesitant to step off the ladder because this is Earth. It's still a conduit to Earth. But it's like leaving the womb almost, you know. He's mm -hmm. got to he's got to venture. He's got to step on the moon. Yes. It's beautiful. I mean, and no one knows what it would be like to be on another celestial body, right? You know, like you can you can theorize, but no one knows. And it's just, the moon is scary looking. Yeah. <laughs> not, yeah. It doesn't look like fun world or splash town or something. <laughs> It's a terrifying looking place. It's barren yeah. and desolate. There's no it's dark. It's gray. Like 
it's not this exotic. It's not freaking Riza in Star Trek, the Pleasure Planet. It's, <laughs> it's scary. It's a it's a horror movie setting. It's scary. It is really really scary. It's really scary. Um, but yeah, they 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 go where no man has gone before, right? Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, and so then they they get. They do the mission, they succeed, they do all the stuff, they get back home, they get back to Earth, everyone's celebrating, everyone's happy. On the planet, they said like hundreds of millions of people watched the moon landing. Hundreds of millions, which is, I mean, it's probably a very large percentage of humans oh, yeah. on the planet at the all time. All over the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, Neil has to be in quarantine for three weeks, something we can all kind of empathize <laughs> with. Yeah, if only we could have quarantined for three weeks, right? <laughs> if only it had been that that short of a time. Yeah, and so Neil and his wife, they kind of have a moment at the end. Which, you know, it's so interesting because, like, there's this glass between them. And so there's sort of this physical barrier. And I don't know, it just feels like a good analogy for how... Their relationship. Yeah, yeah. It just—it feels like a like a good analogy, and they don't speak at all, right? No. Um, I don't know. I feel like I—I I heard that he had been married more than once, so I think this is probably his first marriage. And I think, when knowing that, it's kind of a like a again a, a closing of a chapter, maybe. I mean, I don't know what happened at, with their relationship after that, how long they were together, etc. But knowing that they do end up getting divorced it's kind of a i still love you but this is really really hard yeah (laughs) i love you but damn let's not do this again yeah yeah (laughs) and you know what's great there's a scene in the film where uh janet's talking to the wife of i forget the guy the guy who who dies in the, the the fire yeah um, and she's like, oh yeah, I married him because I wanted, I wanted a, like a quiet life or a simple life or whatever. Mm-hmm. This is not what she got. No. Not at all. Which, no, we- you know, <laughs> it's just another thing. It's like, she doesn't, she's a, she probably doesn't even want to do this thing, right? No, because she, didn't sign up for this. she married an engineer. She didn't think it was going to go to space. <laughs> like, like, why would she ever have thought that? And, and Again, it goes back to like sometimes, you know, one spouse will make a decision that will ultimately affect the entire relationship. But in the moment, you just think, oh, well, this is a really good opportunity. Well, good opportunities can turn frightening yeah. very quickly yeah. because you're, you uproot your whole life and yeah. you change so much in a short period of time. And you have to figure out what you're kind of made of in a way. Um, yeah. Is this a relationship I can withstand? After, because yeah, he made it back all these times, but the next time, and the next time after that, and more friends who die, and traumatizing my kids, and traumatizing me, and yeah, it's yeah, it, it, it can, yeah, it, you can only like I said, a human being can only take so much. Yeah, and they portray that very level. well in the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, that was first man. Um, I, I, I like the film a lot. I really, really, I a lot of the stuff worked. I loved the stuff in space. I loved Ryan Gosling's performance. I really liked um, 
the directing, and I thought it 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 just worked on a lot of levels um, for me. And I thought it it really it did a good job of humanizing him, showing the the cost of the human cost of of doing this thing, and creating you know you you could see. I feel like there's a version of this story where it's very boring, very by the book. This didn't feel like that to me. No, because it, it felt yeah. by the book, and I was very intrigued the entire time. Because, again, there yeah. was plenty of things I learned that I didn't know beforehand. Um, obviously, a great deal of testing goes in. I didn't realize how many times we had freaking failed. Okay, oh, yeah. like, or, yeah. you know, like, the crater. I didn't know he had to fly it over a freaking crater. That makes it even more harrowing, in my opinion. Um, with that little fuel and, you know, we don't, we read about it in a history book or we, we learn about it in school, but they don't really talk about the human loss, the, how it affects the human spirit and can change you ultimately as a person because he was not the same person he went into that was as he was when he came out. Mm-hmm. And not only that, just being <laughs> a, a historic figure from that point on. Like, and being considered a hero, you know, most people who get labeled a hero don't want to be a hero, you know, yeah. because, well, I, I'm all, I only have the status because someone died. If it had been somebody else, if he had been in that training test, if they had swapped teams, if he hadn't been a commander, X, Y, and Z, um, the course of history would have been totally different. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so... I, I thought the film was really great. Um, I don't I know how, how you felt. Yeah. Oh, I thought it, yeah, was, I really... it was very, very good. You know, it goes into that theme of a bunch of, you know, really popular, handsome actors playing astronauts lately. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so did you did you think the the score and the sound mix was good for this one? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Again, it sounded, they made space so terrifying with its noises or lack thereof sometimes. Um, the sound, even the sounds of them getting strapped in or the fly buzzing in the, in the capsule at one point, the rhythmic spinning noise, the, like even the actors breathing heavily, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. damn, <laughs> like it, it scared me. And I thought it was very good sound editing. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, it was nominated for an Oscar for sound editing. It actually won for, um, I think, like, I think it won for editing. It won an Oscar for editing. So, yeah, a lot of that's been. Oh no, I'm sorry for special effects. It won for special effects. Well, just going back to the editing, like the movie clips along very quickly. Like you do yes. massive time jumps at some points. Like, and it felt more like vignettes than scenes. Like it felt like its own little mm-hmm. stories here and there, rather than a continuation of, of yes. one scene or something like yeah. that. Maybe that yeah. sounds weird, but it didn't feel more like short stories in between everything. Yeah. Like all these individual kind of missions are their yeah. own story. Exactly. Their own story about, yeah. Yeah. But they're Mixed in with, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And the familial drama and the, you know, just the, the fact that there's this emotional toll, right. That it takes on everybody. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So do you have any last thoughts on the film? Um, watch it. <laughs> yeah. Like watch this film. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's one of the better biopics that's out there. Um, I feel like sometimes biopics pander to whoever they're being told about. Um, 
generally because maybe that person's still alive or because they're so beloved for whatever they did. Um, this one I think is very true. It paints him in a, in a positive light because of his intelligence and his talent, but it paints him in a negative light because he was emotionally distant when he didn't have to be, when it could have actually benefited him more not to be. Um, and he has a tremendous amount of regret. Like he had, like I said, that moment when he could have opened up to Ed about his daughter is just so heartbreaking, especially with what follows. And you can see that on his face when he gets that phone call. And the surprise, I think, is also very interesting because they know how dangerous it is, yet it's always a shock. You're never prepared, which is, I think, very true. Yeah. I mean, you can never be prepared for no. for something like that. Um, because then you just you think, oh, man, is that going to happen to me? Am I next? Exactly. And you can't have that mindset when you're doing these things. You have to have a clear head. Mm-hmm. So I think we both recommend First Man. It's awesome. <laughs> Watch Absolutely. it. <laughs> Absolutely. You will learn a lot. It's it's scientific. It's fair. It's pretty accurate. It's a beautifully filmed movie. The special effects are fantastic. The acting performances are great, and it's, and it's very relatable. I think a lot of people can relate to it, even especially on the human element. Obviously, not on the astronaut level um but unless you're an astronaut watching this in which case hey have space um yeah (laughs) uh, thank you for watching thank you for watching we appreciate it um yeah yeah i think it's a relatable human story too and yeah like like we were saying at the beginning there's you know some other films similar in the genre that i'd say that we also liked i think we both like like the 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 right stuff Mm mm-hmm Definitely, that's a good one. I don't know if you've seen this movie. There's a documentary that came out last year, Apollo 11. No, I haven't seen it. Yeah, I I would recommend that. That's a that's another good if you're into the NASA stuff. That was a really really good documentary. I like that a lot. Um, so yeah, I think the, those are our thoughts on the film. Both strong recommend it. And um, yeah, thanks a lot for coming by and uh, listening to us talk about this film. And uh, see you again next week. Um, May the force be with you. Live long and prosper.